Good morning, everyone, and welcome to church on this beautiful, sunny Sunday morning. I'm glad that all of you have joined us. Thank you, Eric, for that prelude. It was wonderful to hear it. We know that you are actually in the meeting house, and further proof of that was that if you were listening very closely, you could hear the church bell as it just snuck into the prelude. So wonderful to hear the organ and know that you are there, Eric. I want to welcome everyone to church this morning, no matter where you're gathering from. We know that our congregation has always been one that's been expansive, but now we have the chance to be even more expansive. We have the opportunity to broadcast out into the world. And so whether you're joining us from Massachusetts or anywhere else in the world, we wanna welcome you warmly to our service. We are glad that you are part of our congregation and that you have joined us this morning for church. Our custom on Sunday morning, uh, we'll go into gallery mode and we will just show you who all is leading worship here and I will call in folks and they'll say hi to you this morning. So let's start off. Eric, you're right next to me. Do you want to just say hi to the folks? Good morning, friends. Lovely to be with you. And Anderson Manuel. Good morning, everyone. So happy to be here. And Adrian Betancourt is here. I'm so pleased to be in community with all of you today. And the Reverend Amy Friedman. Good morning, everyone. And our wonderful music director, Beth Norton. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you and have you here. And you'll see her very soon, but Georgie Svercek is here. Good morning, Georgie. Good morning. And Don Van Patten is here. Good morning, everyone. It's really good to be with you. And Liz Weber, our Minister for Pastoral Care. Good morning, welcome to church, everybody. And there's one more person that I wanna to introduce to you. Peter has been doing, doing tech for uh, us for a long time. He's hiding in the background, but we have a new tech person joining us this morning, uh, Lily Vanderzanden, and she's joining us from Chicago. Lily, welcome. We're glad that you are on tech this morning. Uh, show the folks your face and give them a wave, if you will. Hi, I'm Lily. So great to be here. Good morning, everyone. Again, welcome to church, and Adrian Betancourt has our call to worship. In the Boston Globe, David Tribman wrote, quote, history is full of turning points, moments when the patterns of human affairs are upended, when great disruptions course through the culture, when tranquility is shattered, assumptions are blown apart, whole ways of thinking and behaving are transformed. 2020 will mark us all for the rest of our lives. This year, we have to decide what kind of people we are going to be." End quote. Let us worship together. Good morning, everyone. My name is Georgie Svercek, and I just graduated from Concord Carlisle High School. I don't have my diploma yet, and we haven't had an actual ceremony, but I've graduated in theory. This morning, I invite you all to light your chalices as I light mine, and as we come together over this symbol of our Unitarian Universalist faith. It is together that we can support each other, even through tumultuous times like these. For years, First Parish has always been a place where I could come and be welcomed and loved, which has helped shape me into the person I am today. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for being there for me over the 12 years that I've been a part of this congregation. 
Thank you so much, Georgie, for lighting our chalice and congratulations. Graduation is truly a milestone. And even though the class of 2020 is uh, graduating in the midst of the pandemic and you may not even have your diploma in hand yet, please know that you are not alone. I want to say to the whole class of 2020, we celebrate you. We are so um, proud of all of your hard work and your accomplishments. We want you to know that as in this rapidly changing world, we will continue to be here to support you and to partner with you. And so as well as Georgie, we have some other folks from our first parish community that we wanna celebrate this morning. And we have a list of them to show you. So graduating from Concord Carlisle High School, Emily Capafredi, Evie Hamor, Annie Jimenez, Lucy Jimenez, Eloise Evans McKenzie, Ava Moore, Annabelle Pauster, Georgie Spurcheck. From Simmons University, Hannah Parlman. Congratulations. Our first parish community joins me in celebrating and honoring you. Let's join together in our chalice lighting response. O flame of our faith, open our hearts and fill our bodies and souls with persistent strength. Enliven our spirits and engage us deeply in this life of ours, this sacred, essential moment now. Good morning, everyone. Our opening song today was written in the early 1960s. The tune was inspired by a song of defiance from the American slavery period. The person who wrote it was a troubadour who decades later would win the Nobel Prize for Literature. Bob Dylan's language in this song can sound jarringly gendered to our ears today. The questions he asks remain deeply relevant to us. So I invite you to sing along with me this familiar song by Bob Dylan, Blowing in the Wind. Before their love 
for leading us in that song brought a little tear to me. I had to blow my nose before I could do the children's message. So this is for you kids who have tuned in for young people of all ages. And of course, uh, this time is for the whole congregation too. I was thinking uh, this week, you know, it was a pretty rough week for our country in a lot of ways. There's a lot of serious things that are happening and there's a lot of people that are really upset right now. And some of them are protesting, sometimes that's peaceful, but sometimes there's fighting. And I know it was a hard week for me and I imagine it was a hard week for kids too. And it got me to thinking, it got me to thinking about what answer does Unitarian Universalism have to a moment like this? And so of course I thought about our first principle. It's it and the seventh are probably the ones that we know the best. And so we remember that the first principle says that we believe in the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Now for kids, that's kind of a mouthful. So we've shortened that to mean that everyone should be treated fairly, right? That everybody matters. Well, that got me to thinking about whether or not um, that's a strong enough statement for these times. And I'll explain what I'm saying. Sometimes I think that we just, we kind of hold back a little bit with our first principle that we say, well, you know, in theory, everything should be fair for everybody, and it seems kind of fair for us. So I want to tell you about a time when I was just about your age and something that I would do with my brothers. Now, I'm the oldest of five kids, and so I have three younger brothers, and then I have a younger sister on the end. And you won't be able to believe this at all, but we grew up without television, and there were no iPhones and there were no tablets. It was practically Little House on the Prairie at our house. So one of the things that we kids used to do to entertain ourselves was we would play board games. And I always wanted to play Monopoly. And the reason I wanted to play Monopoly was that I was good at it and I was the oldest. And because I was the oldest, I got to be the banker. Every time I got to be the banker. Now, I don't know if you played Monopoly or not, but it's a game where you go around the board and you roll the dice and you land on properties. And if you've got money enough, then you can buy that property or you can wait until the next roll and maybe buy that property. Well, I was really good at buying up some of the best properties 
and then I'd build houses on them and I'd build hotels on them. And then my poor little brothers would come around the board and they'd land on my spot and whammo. I'd like, they'd, I'd, they'd have to give me all of their money because my rents were so high and they couldn't afford to be on my space. So the game would go on and of course, because I was the banker, I was more than happy to loan my little brother's money um, at, at what I thought was a fair rate of interest. So they would keep borrowing more and more from the bank just to keep going around the board. But it always ended up the same way. They never ever could get ahead because all that had to happen was for them to land on one of my properties that was too expensive and they would be out of money. So at some point in every game, one of my little brothers would get up from the table in disgust, having lost all of his money back to the bank, which he rightly assumed was me. And he would go and tell our mom. He would say, Mom, Howard's cheating at Monopoly. He's not playing fair at all. It's not right. And she would come into the other room and she'd ask me, she'd say, are you cheating? Are you not playing fair with them? And I'd say, I'm not cheating, I'm following all of the rules. And if she really wanted to know, then I would hold up the box and that's where uh, the rules were written, right there in the inside cover of the box. And I could point to every rule that I was just following. I was being fair, that's just how the system was set up. It's times like this that I think maybe we need to look at how the game is played altogether. Because if, you, if we were all in the sanctuary right now, I'd ask you some questions. I'd say, what would be a better way to play Monopoly with my little brothers? And you'd give me some really good answers. And I imagine one of the answers that you would give is you would tell me that it would be much more fair and much more fitting with our first principle if I actually taught my little brothers how to play the game better if I was patient with them, if I showed them how to save their money or how to buy wisely, and even more, if sometimes I let them be the banker and let them be the one who had a little more power. These times that we're living in, we are faced with folks who just want a little more power. They just want us to share more. They just want us to teach them and give them the same kind of benefits that so many of us have had just because of where we were raised or where we were born. And the only reason I was better at Monopoly than my little brothers was I was just further along in school than they were. And so I want us to think about that first principle and not see it as something that's passive. It's not enough to just say, let's treat everybody fairly. We have to actually turn that into action and say that if everybody is going to be treated fairly, we have to look at the system they're living under and we probably have to change that too. I'm glad you've joined me at church this morning and thank you for listening to this story about playing Monopoly with my brothers. Thank you, Howard. We go from Monopoly into this deeper moment in our service, getting ready for our reflection from Anderson today. And so I invite you to hear this poem. It's called Reformation, the Spirit of the Wind. And it's by Reverend Kristen Harper, who was one of the first Black Unitarian Universalist ministers to be ordained in our tradition. 
um, no, that's wrong. One of the first to be called to serve a congregation in our tradition, and she's um, contemporary to us. She's alive these days. So knowing that this is pretty recent history, that our ministry of ordained ministers has become more diverse, that more people of color have been in our ranks. So Kristen writes, some say the spirit of the wind is in the trees. You can see it, they say, if you close your eyes and stand real still. Some say that same spirit lives in the hills, forging mountains and plains. I smelled it the other night. Lying in my bed, my window cracked. It crept through the moonlight up under my blanket and wrapped its arms around me. Entering my blood through my skin, I felt alive with an age I had not yet reached. Made new again in a form I'd never known. I cried out in pain and joy mingled, fear and expectation. Exigacy ex has been called. I call it reformation. There was forgiveness in that spirit compassion for my wounds, strength for my weaknesses. It was no miracle, nor nirvana. I just closed my eyes and saw the spirit, the spirit in the trees, the spirit in the wind, the spirit that lives in me. My dear First Parish community, with all that is taking place during this time, I feel called to speak to start a much needed conversation with myself and with you. In a year in which we have had to deal with issues around immigration, shootings at schools and community gatherings, the COVID-19 pandemic, and the collapse of our economy, we as a nation are pulled into a long overdue conversation about race, equality, and justice. Almost a quarter of a millennium ago, our forefathers shared these words. We hold this truth to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. As the Iron Gold Age rise, almost 244 years later, we as a nation, as a community, have struggled, have struggled with this idea that everyone is created equal. To be honest, our forefathers clearly struggled with the true meaning of these words as they debated to whom to extend these freedoms, which is evident in the simple omission of the word women from this prophetic proclamation. And lately, I have wondered if a segment of our population believe that those rights extend to only those who are white citizens. The deaths of Floyd and Taylor follow a tragic pattern of racist state-sanctioned violence that has shaped U.S. history for centuries. During slavery, Black people's lives were circumscribed by organized groups of white men who policed the enslaved. 
In the aftermath of the Civil War, the emergence of black coats, which curtailed black rights and mobility, emboldened nascent police forces and white vigilante groups to carry out violent acts under the guise of law and order. In cities across the nation, Black people were targeted by police forces, arrested at a higher rates than their white counterparts, and in Southern states trapped in a system of bondage that mirrored slavery. Early in the 20th century, lynchings emerged as another tactic to control the lives and movements of Black people. Racist police forces upheld rather than challenged white mob violence. As anti-lynching crusader Ida B. Wells Bonnet observed in the Red Record, the lynchings of Black Americans were not only planned in advance, but had the full support of local police. Often, police were participants in the white mobs that attacked Black men and women. Others were complicit in work to protect the interests of white perpetrators to ensure they would never face repercussions for their violent acts. As a result, Thousands of black people across the country were lynched with impunity. The cycle of police forces threatened the lives of black Americans as opposed to protecting them. Led civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. to confront the issue during his iconic I Have a Dream speech at the 1963 March on Washington. Quote, there are those who are asking the devotees of civil rights, when will you be satisfied, King said. We can never be satisfied as long as the Negro is the victim of the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. 1963. By the 1990s and 80s, it was evidence that King's dream of a nation without police violence and brutality would not become a reality. These realities indicate that the political gains of civil rights movement, black people are still treated as second class citizens in the United States. Black Americans today die at the hands of police at a rate that is almost equivalent to the number of documented lynchings a century ago. A 2019 report revealed police violence is now one of the leading causes of death for black men in the United States. When a video surfaced, it signaled a lot of citizens just how bad police violence visited upon marginalized communities actually was. People either didn't know what was happening or were willfully ignorant of it. They needed to wake up. It is easy to believe that the protests, that the protests, the anger and frustration that we are seeing on TV are happening in other communities, that what we are reading and seeing is unique to the Midwest or the South and not here. But I can tell you that 42 years, I have experienced many incidents that have given me pause and wonder whether as an American citizen, do I truly believe that the creed speaks for me. I do not expect anyone to understand the pain that exists when you are told to sit down and wait until spoken to by a police officer and people who feel that you have nothing to contribute or to understand the frustration that you feel when you're at work early in the morning and a neighbor who does not feel that you belong call security on you, despite wearing a suit and providing proof that you belong there. Nor do I expect you to understand what it's like to be followed when you go to a clothing store, to be stopped by the police when you are driving in a neighborhood that feel that you don't belong, 
what it's like to be afraid to drive at night or go for a run without the stress of thinking about being targeted. I am not speaking today to assuage anyone's guilt, nor do I want my words to help you turn away from the truth that racism, whether intentional or not, exists within our community. It is buried deep in the psyche of our country. I'm also not here to explain what it's like to be a black man in America. What I do know is that my experience as an American has led me to understand that as long as we don't acknowledge racism, we give it power. When we turn a blind eye to the injustices that are present, we empower it. And our tendency to forgive and forget these sins, we all become culpable. If we believe that this is not my fight, or I'm just one person, or my voice doesn't matter, we embolden and feed this horrific beast. As a black man, a man of faith, a father and an educator, I am called to act. My conscience will not allow me to sit it idly by while injustice occurs. My heart cannot endure inaction. Thus, I am committed to doing my part to control those things within my control to help eliminate the spread of this malignancy in our great country. I will use the platforms provided to me just as we all should. So what can we do? First, we need to realize that we cannot look to others to solve our issue. If we are going to enact change, then we need to start with ourselves. As a young man who came to the United States from Haiti at the age of eight, I struggled to understand and I looked to our, to our educational system to help me understand, but that really did not happen. It was until I attended college that I took classes on race relations and educated myself on the plight and the history of this country that I finally understood. We need to read, engage in real conversation regardless of how difficult they are. We must recognize the value of every person, not only through our actions, but also in the selection of instructional materials. We, cannot, we can no longer ignore the acerbic taste that hate leaves in our mouths and in our thoughts. More importantly, we should vehemently take a stand and speak out against those who are perpetrating hate or bigotry. We cannot stand by and allow these to continue. And finally, to form a more perfect union for our children, we need to go out and truly meet our neighbors. We need to expose ourselves to various cultures to help us suspend the judgment of those who are different. And we do this until we understand that fundamentally every parent wants the same thing for their child for the child to become his or her best self and come home safely every night, which I worry about every day for my two black sons, especially my 17 year old who is now driving. As the father of two black sons, I have taught them from a young age how to protect themselves because of the color of their skin. To some of you, this is a foreign concept, but I know for a fact that after seeing these incidents over and over again, Black and multicultural families across the nation are having conversations with their children about racial violence and police brutality. Last week, my 15-year-old son looked at me and asked, Dad, these are the same images that we saw from the civil rights movement. Why are they still happening? Why haven't we overcome? As a parent, your job is to provide your child with an answer. But sadly, I didn't have one. 
These conversations can be particularly challenging for young children because as a parent, I have taught my boys that the police are there to help them in an emergency and to respect them. But I also feel the need to tell them to be vigilant and protect themselves. These are the lessons ingrained into the everyday conversations of black and multicultural families. And when events such as the Floyd's death occur, fear, fear is brought to the surface. And my role as a parent, teacher, and music leader, I will continue to do more to honor the rich diversity that exists within our community. I will be unapologetic about becoming more inclusive of all voices. Together, I believe that we'll continue to work to create a community that welcomes all and reminds everyone that inaction in any form fuels the fire of oppression. There are no curriculums or computer programs that will yield us a better outcome. Instead, the work that we must do requires that we come together. It requires that we help each other create the world that we want to see. In the words of Benjamin Franklin, we must indeed all hang together almost assuredly, we shall hang separately. But I know that with intentional focus and with your help, we can create a better community and country. This is just the beginning of a much needed conversation within our community, one that I want to allow to go away. Since I do not have the solutions, I close with this final thought. The Declaration of Independence also states that when something is unjust, we are obligated to take action. And to be afraid to do so is showing complacency. But I also pray that through our collective frustration, we do everything we can to make sure that no one will be hurt, that we will not have to witness another death, that someday, as a Black man, I will truly feel free. And together, we'll find a way forward as a community. Because that is what our faith community and our children deserve. Thank you. So today, your reflection question is, what question are you wrestling with right now? Please share with us in the chat.
Thank you, Anderson, for that reflection. And thank you all for your questions. I'll read just a few of them. We're already up to about 70 of them. So let's just get a sense of uh, what you're asking. And of course, you can go back in the chat and take a look at them. Here are some of your questions. How to confront and change the malignancy of the systemic racism in our society. What are the first steps I can take to make change? What can I do? Can this ever be solved? How can our country be made whole finally? Where to start? What will help the most? Can our country be healed? What can I do to make a difference now? Why is there a pandemic? Is what I'm doing enough? What assumptions do I make that perpetuate division? When will we all feel true justice? Can I ever do enough? How can I most effectively take anti-racist actions? How can children best learn values of racial equality? How can we understand the depth of our white privilege? Why does history repeat itself? How does my privilege affect others? And so many more. How am I a perpetrator? How to get more affordable housing in Concord? Lots more questions. As Bob Dylan said, the answers are blowing in the wind. And so we'll have to listen to the wind and we'll have to listen to one another. Let us sing together. Please join me um, as we sing this wonderful song. And as you sing this song, think about what you can do to bring more love, more hope, more joy, more peace. Start with yourself. Let us start. There is more love somewhere. There is more love somewhere. There is more love somewhere. I'm gonna keep on till I find it. There is more love somewhere. Joy. There is more joy somewhere. There is more joy somewhere. I'm gonna keep on till I find it. There is more joy somewhere. There is justice. There is justice somewhere. There is justice 
somewhere I'm gonna keep on till I find it there is justice somewhere peace there is more peace somewhere there is more peace somewhere i'm gonna keep on till i find it there is more peace somewhere there is more hope somewhere there is more joy somewhere Beautiful. Let's join now our hearts in prayer in time to feel into that assuredness that there is more love, more peace, more joy that is possible. Each week you share what has been important in your life, those milestones for you and your family and we share them for the congregation to be able to lift you up. This week, as we celebrate our graduates, we realize that Jack Barnes has graduated from the University of New Hampshire, and we somehow missed you in the list. So Jack, congratulations. And congratulations to the whole class of 2020. This week, we, I also share that Jim Reynolds had eye surgery yesterday for a detached retina. So we hold Jim in our heart and his wife, Nancy, that recovery may go well and that things can be back to normal for them as soon as possible. Who else is on your heart? Who have you been holding this week? I invite you to say the names aloud that you have been holding and know that we hold each other, we hold our wider community and our world when we come together in this community. And let's sing Spirit of Life.
Let's pray. Joining our hearts together with all of the all of the joy and sorrow and questions that, that we hold. Dear God, dear spirit that moves in the wind, I offer this prayer for the complexity of these times. For what it might be like to need healthcare or surgery and to finally be able to receive it, to be waiting for your loved one who is having that surgery from the parking lot or from home the hardship of being separate and then the gratitude that care can be provided and the knowledge that that care from our hearts extends across the distance, even now while we are in our own homes, that we still provide the support and care to one another. The complexity for our graduates, the joy and satisfaction of graduation and yet not being able to be together for a ceremony, not having a diploma in hand, and yet having new ways to celebrate like parades. The complexity that continues from COVID-19, the complexity of how to stay safe and yet how to continue to live our lives and added the complexity of how to show up for justice in our world in a moment when the safest thing to do is to stay home. So in this complexity, we add our questions, we call out our questions of of how and what if and all of the wonders and the worries on our hearts. And so this is a prayer too for those questions. When it feels like the answer is nowhere to be found, may we listen to the winds of change. May we be open and willing This is a prayer of lament, a prayer of outrage over racism, over the ways that white supremacy has been woven through our history, the ways that we see images today that look so much like the images of 50 years ago, the ways that things have stayed the same and have changed the ways that there has been progress and pushback and progress and pushback. This is painful. And so 
we recommit ourselves, and this is a prayer for our commitment to learn and to act, to look within ourselves and see who we are and how we are called to make a difference, to look to the leadership of Black folks, the movement for Black lives, our youth, those who are leading the way and to become followers. This is a prayer that each of us can trust that we can do our part and that together we are more than the sum of our parts. That though the universe, the arc of the moral universe is long, we can help bend it towards justice. That there is more love, more freedom, more justice, more liberation somewhere. And that we are on the journey together. Thank you, Liz, for that lovely prayer and Beth for the music. We know that when we come together each week as a congregation, whether we're in person or whether we're spread across the miles, that each of us is given another opportunity to be generous. That when we pool our money, when we pool our resources, the programs of our church can reach far and wide. And we know that the money we spend at First Parish is money that flows out not only to this congregation, but to into our community, and in fact, around the world. Soon, a number will appear on your screen. I invite you to text that number. All you have to do is put in a dollar figure, a two zero or a five zero or a one zero zero, and text it to that number. If it's the first time that you're doing that, it'll ask you how to set it up with a credit card. If you're all set up, you can just do that any Sunday that you would like. And if you need to edit it for any reason, just text edit to the same number. Please give generously as an offering for the good work and witness of First Parish in Concord will be gratefully received.
Eric, can you unmute? Let us welcome Peter Nobley for our social action candle. Morning all, thank you Adrian. Uh, I'd like to read a statement that was made on behalf of the congregation last week uh, after the murder of George Floyd. And I want you all to remember this isn't perfect, but a lot of people did work on it and it in six months, it's going to matter less what we said and more what we do. So let me read the statement. So last Sunday night in Concord Center, hundreds of people gathered, masked and physically distant, but connected one heart to another. We stood together, chanted, honked horns, and shouted in a show of grief and outrage at yet another incident of police brutality against Black people, the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis. We at First Parish in Concord in solidarity with other Unitarian Universalists and millions of fellow citizens across this country, rededicate ourselves to the work of dismantling systems of structural racism in the United States. We acknowledge that the original American racial sins of slavery and genocide have never been properly addressed or reconciled. We pledge to continue 
our anti-racism work, and to include new action steps for our congregation to respond to the latest atrocities and to expose the systemic evils that allow these atrocities to happen. We know that the impact of COVID-19 on non-white communities is one result of these systemic evils and the, the death toll has been devastating. At the same time, we know that we can turn our love and prayers to do our part toward overcoming the terrible realities of racism. We commit ourselves therefore to the hard work of transforming and dismantling the privileges of dominant white culture. And we will strive to be a part of a nation guided by wisdom and equity, not by fear and greed. We will use our privilege to dismantle institutional racism. We stand firmly with the African-American community. Black Lives Matter. We know another, word is po another world is possible. And we dedicate ourselves to building a golden thread of lasting peace between all people. So I light our social action candle this morning. As a representation of the divine spark within each of us and of the eternal flame of our faith, which guides us toward justice. Amen. Thank you, Peter, and thank you to the rest of the standing committee and everyone else who worked on that statement. I think it's powerful and let it be the thing that leads us into more action. Let it live in our hearts. As we begin to close our service today, I have just a few announcements to let you know about. Um, you're welcome to stay on and use the online chat for a little bit after the service. If you'd like to say hi to folks, just be sure to set, have your setting on participants and attendees or everyone. You are also invited to go to the worship sharing circle if you would like. It will begin right after the service and it will finish by 11.30 a.m. And we will put the Zoom link login in the chat for that. So you just copy it from the chat and then paste it into your browser and you'll go to that Zoom uh, meeting where the worship sharing circle is happening. Uh, please pay good attention to First Parish website and to FP Weekly. That's the best place for all of the information that we're putting out. And be sure to check your spam filter occasionally. Uh, sometimes things sneak in there that you actually wanted to read. Um, you can like us on Facebook and check us out on YouTube as well. Next week is a big week. We are going to do flower communion uh, for our service next week. This is a favorite of the congregation every year. We have to do it a little bit differently this year. So what we're hoping you'll do is we're hoping you will take a picture of yourself and your family, or if you're a single person, just yourself and with a flower. So hold the flower and you wanna take the picture in landscape. So the sideways kind, not the up and down kind, the sideways kind, and send that to Sarah Burns in the church office at sburns at firstparish.org. And we'll put all of those together into a slideshow and include that in our flower communion Sunday next week. Uh, right after that service, we will have our annual meeting. I invite you to stick around for that. We'll just move seamlessly from the flower communion service into the annual meeting and uh, we'll do it as quickly and efficiently as we can. But we know that there's lots of things happening at that meeting that you'll want to pay attention to. So we invite you both to flower communion and the annual meeting next week. Now let us join in our closing song. I am open and I am willing. 
for to be hopeless would seem so strange. It dishonors those who go before us, so lift me up to the light of change. I invite you to lift your voices, to lift your bodies if you'd like to stand or to sit up and straight and sing with me Holly Near's song, I Am Willing. I am open and I am willing for to be hopeless would seem so strange. It dishonors those who go before us. So lift me up to the light of change. There is hurting in my family. There is sorrow in my town. There is Beth, we live in a beautiful and broken world. Each of us can do something and each of us can be bearers of hope. I encourage us to do this, to keep asking questions, to not look for easy answers, and to know that we are not alone.
we do this work together. Please join in the first parish benediction, saying, go out into the world in peace, have courage, hold on to what is good, return to no person evil for evil, strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering, honor all beings. Oh,